one step in this long progress. It's been a team effort by us all the way. We're but part of the whole team that's worked so hard. The shuttle era will come to an end. But they won't stop inspiring, and they won't stop being a part of the fabric of America. We choose to go to the moon. That's right, we're back for a second week in a row. Holy cow! This is Talking Space episode 616 for the week of Monday, October 20th, 2014. I'm Sawyer Rosenstein, and joining me tonight is Gene McCulka. Welcome, Gene. Hail, hail, the gang's all here. How you doing, Sawyer? I'm doing great, thanks. And welcome as well, Mark Ratterman. I'm here, too. Glad to have you listeners with us. Let's get started, because obviously we have a lot to cover, and I think we'll just jump right into it with the first story, which is about commercial crew. Now, as you may recall, in our absence, NASA selected who will be getting the chance to fly astronauts to the International Space Station. In case you don't remember, those two were SpaceX with their, uh, with their crewed version of the Dragon, and... Boeing with the CST-100. There was a third competitor in there, and that was Sierra Nevada with their uh, with their Dream Chaser spacecraft, and they didn't get it. Now, Gene, can you just fill people in on all that's been going on since then with Sierra Nevada and the whole commercial crew program? Oh, boy. Okay. Uh, back, well, let me just rewind a little bit all the way back to the week of September 16th when the announcement was first na- made. Uh, the news sort of started trickling out just before the press conference was called that uh, SpaceX with its Crew Dragon and that Sierra Nevada was going to be out in the cold uh, with Dream Chaser and Boeing CST-100 also got the nod. Now, for those who don't know what's going on as far as the designs of the two ve- of the three vehicles are concerned, the CST-100 Boeing entry and the Dragon uh, crew version uh, are conical capsule designs, whereas the uh, Sierra Nevada Dream Chaser is essentially a lifting body. It's a small shuttle, essentially. It, uh, it started out life as NASA's HL-20. Uh, which was supposed to be a lifeboat for uh, for the International Space Station. And uh, unfortunately, it was a program that was killed back in the 1990s. Sierra Nevada picked it up and thought, hey, let's make a run with this particular design. But their design had some other interesting features that the original HL-20 didn't have and uh, for instance, I think this this vehicle was completely autonomous. I don't recall if the HL-20 was supposed to be. Somebody's going to check that on me, of course, and please do, because then, you know, as I don't know if HL-20 was totally autonomous or not. But uh, moving right along, uh, the um, the choices uh, obviously were, were uh, Boeing and, and SpaceX with their two entries. Uh, the big hullabaloo was, well, what left SpaceX? Sierra Nevada in the cold. And NASA at that time couldn't really say anything because the announcement was made and Sierra Nevada also already was was indicating that if it didn't go their way, they may go ahead and, and use a provision that's in the contract to go ahead and basically question and put this, this whole thing on hold for a little while um, as to why they weren't selected and basically you know, argue the point that we should have. And they basically said, hey, our entry was cheaper than Boeing's. It was cheaper than than SpaceX's. How come we didn't get in? Um, And that was something that mystified the press for a little while, too. Um, As things turned out, we kind of found out, but we found out through drips and drabs and leaks and so on. 
because this thing went into arbitration, uh, we weren't supposed to find any of that information out until after the arbitration was over. Uh, to let everybody know, too, the way the contract works, I believe um, you have, they're going to go through the general accounting office, uh, the GAO, and the general accounting office is going to deliver their decision on this whole thing um, on, I believe it's January 5th, 2015. Uh, why that late? Well, they've, you know, they've got to look at what all provisions of the contract. They've got to look at scheduling. They've got to look at this, that, and the other thing. And is, is it a possibility that, that they may be overturned and the decision is overturned? Well, yeah, anything's possible. But will it? Um, I'll save that opinion for later when we go around the horn and, and talk about this a little bit more. So uh, NASA decided, well, okay, during, um, during the, uh, the IAC, NASA, NASA uh, that we discussed a little bit last week, um, NASA decided to stop work on both uh, the CST-100 and the SpaceX Crew Dragon until this kind of sorted out. But then they had, had a change of heart a little bit and said, all right, this is a little bit more important that the country is not being well served in this delay, meaning that there's no work going on on the spacecraft, and we're still, this may actually push out the, uh, uh, the whole process and the first crewed launch from U.S. soil since uh, STS-135 back in July of 2011 uh, may be pushed out further. And that's bad all the way around. So they decided to let SpaceX and Boeing continue the work on the spacecraft um, and their, their, their entries while this whole thing was in arbitration. Well, Sierra Nevada didn't take too kindly to that. I know some have called this sort of a, you know, a scorched earth policy, which I think was a little too rough on, on Sierra Nevada. They were just asking to go ahead and adhere to the to the spirit of the contract. So what Sierra Nevada did is they filed a an injunction in in um, I believe the the claims court of the United States, uh, essentially asking everybody to sort of just stop work. We want this thing. If NASA is going to stick to the spirit of the contract, everybody's got to stop work until this whole mess is sorted out. Well. Uh, I believe it was yesterday, and I'm looking at a uh, Florida Today uh, entry by James Dean, dated uh, yeah, dated twenty, dated today actually, uh, as we record this, uh, 22 October, uh, that a judge moved today that uh, SpaceX and Boeing can continue work on their spacecraft while the GAO is arbitrating this whole thing and trying to see if SpaceX, SpaceX, to try to see if, if Sierra Nevada should have actually gotten the nod or not. Um, so it's, it's kind of a blow to Sierra Nevada and, and the Dream Chaser project and this whole thing. Um, now, what's to happen with Dream Chaser? We're going to touch on that a little bit more next week because both uh, Kat Robeson and, um, and Cassie Tamanini, uh, a.k.a. Craftlast, they were at uh, IAC 2014 in Toronto when SNC made their announcement of what, what they were going to do. Um, but they said they would continue if they could find a good business case. Apparently, they, they have, and they are going to continue working on, on Dream Chaser, but they're just going to have to fund it internally somehow. One of the things that they are looking at is to enter Dream Chaser into the commercial cargo uh, contract run because Dream Chaser can indeed operate autonomously to deliver cargo to the International Space Station. That contract, I believe, is, is due in 2016. Uh, both right now, uh, Orbital Sciences and SpaceX have are under contract for six deliveries to the ISS. Um, Orbital will be making its third launch. We'll talk about that later, um, later next week. Uh, and I believe uh, uh, SpaceX is due to make its fifth. So we've got you know, that coming to a close. So there'll be new contracts coming up. Uh, and, of course, we fully expect uh, 
SpaceX and Orbital Sciences to put in additional bids to keep their contracts, while I believe Boeing and Sierra Nevada have all have indicated that they too would like in on this and will probably submit a bid as well. So there's going to be some really interesting competition going on um, coming up in 2016. So grab your popcorn and your favorite cold beverage. It's it's going to get interesting. Um, so that's one of the, the business cases that Sierra Nevada is looking at. The other one, and we're not going to go into too much depth here, but the other one uh, looks like it's going to be Straddle Launcher. Uh, it looks like uh, the Sierra Nevada vehicle is going to be attached to uh, uh, to a, uh, a booster that's going to be carried up via Straddle Launcher, and the uh, the Dream Chaser will carry about three individuals into orbit. And the idea is that SNC has said, hey, anybody who wants to fly in space and has got the money to do it, we'll take you up. If you want to, you have an experiment program you want to run, if you're from another, another nation, say, like, you know, I know India is trying to get their own program together. But if, you know, a group of Indian astronauts want to come over and, and train on, on Dream Chaser, they will fly them. Um, or if there's a crew that wants to fly, you know, from France, say, or something like that, they will fly them up, let them conduct their experiments and bring them back down. That's one of the one of the options that they're look, looking at. So there's several things that, that might keep Dream Chaser alive. There's also been some speculation, too, as to really, really why why they were just they 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 lost. And we'll save that for later. But so that's where we are currently with this whole thing. SpaceX and Boeing are, are hard at work trying to get this thing going. Sierra Nevada is sort of in limbo, as it were. Um, but it sounds to me like Dream Chaser may have a future uh, if it gets selected for the commercial cargo deal. And it may also have a future uh, working with um, uh, Paul Allen and uh, Straddle Launcher. So... I'm going to throw it out to 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 the to the crew here. Um, a, why do you think it went down the way it did? And uh, we'll go into the speculation too, as far as what NASA was was its thought processes were after we kind of go around the table here. But sorry, I'm going to throw it to you first. Um, why do you think Sierra Nevada lost out, and why SpaceX and Boeing got chosen? This is a tough one, especially when you look at the actual proposals, because, I mean, the main concern that Sierra Nevada had was, hey, our proposal was cheaper than Boeing, so why didn't we get it? Because don't you want to save money? And, and, I mean, that is always an interesting claim, especially considering uh, how big of a budget NASA has. And when I say that, I mean they really don't have that much of a budget, especially for, you know, crewed vehicles when they're putting all their efforts into – Orion and EFT-1. This is basically just a way so that they can say, hey, Russia, you want to leave us in 2020? Fine, we're going to be good on our own, because this is supposed to be ready by 2017, SpaceX and now Boeing. Uh, I don't know if it will be. That's a whole nother story and a whole nother discussion and a whole nother topic. But focusing on why I think they actually got it, I think that they like uh, it seems like they like a certain system. I mean, SpaceX and Boeing both have very similar uh, projects. You think about it also, SpaceX and Boeing already have established assembly facilities and plants at Cape Canaveral. So I think that has a large part of it, too, because if I remember correctly, Boeing has one of the space shuttle hangars and SpaceX, we already know they have their own launch facility over Cape Canaveral Air Force Station, even though they'll probably be using 39A. So there's a lot already in place for those two companies and i think that sierra nevada would have a lot to go off from there plus i think they chose spacex the obvious one because they already have all the infrastructure and they already have the proven dragon that works and boeing i think a lot of it also has to do with just the name it's boeing everybody's heard of boeing they know the 747s they know the airplanes and i think they would trust them to make a reliable spacecraft as well and again this is all just my personal opinion on it but I think a lot of it has to do with what's already there, both in name and in, at Cape Canaveral. Hey, Mark, I'm going to throw it to you. What do you think this whole thing went down the way it did? A couple different ideas. Uh, I agree with a lot of the points that have already been made about it being a, a reasonable decision. But I have to throw in a, my usual twist and wonder if 
part of the decision process doesn't involve thinking about where are we going to get the least heat with the choices we make. And if they had not chosen SpaceX, SpaceX is, you know, I kind of see it as America's favorite rocket company right now, regardless of all the uh, other controversial things that we've talked about. I would say they've got a very positive image in the public's mind right now. Well, my thought is, Sawyer, you're probably barking up the right tree as far as the design is concerned, because you have to look at it this way. We're talking about um, 2017 or late 2017 for both of these for these vehicle sets to get off the ground. Uh, Yeah, these are down and dirty conical shapes. Uh, that will just go ahead, very simple, get the job done, get crew up safely, get them home safely, let them sit at the ISS for you know 200 plus days, perform the job and, without doing a lot of bells and whistles and all that. So uh, you may have something, something there. Actually, Mark, I'm kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum with that. I, I do agree with you that that SpaceX seems to be the kindred soul. In fact, I kind of look at SpaceX, you know, at least in the press anyway. Um, as, you know, I think NASA looks at SpaceX in a way, you know, it, it's sort of like the child that never had, if you will, and is trying to just sort of nurture the program along. But if you remember when it first started, all of these Falcon 1s were going boom, and then NASA kind of stepped in and said, well, let's see what you're doing here, here Charlie. And they came in and, and suggested a few things. And guess what? They got Falcon 1 working. Um, after NASA went ahead and, and kind of showed them what they were doing wrong. So there's, I think there's already a fairly good re- working relationship between uh, the SpaceX technicians and the NASA community. I think all, all, you know, they kind of know each other and, and so on and, and know what they're capable of doing. So I think you, you, you've got something there, but I, I'm, you know, they also seem to be, you know, the, the skip the fanboys and all that. So they also seem to be somewhat of a media darling, but it, it, in a way, so was, so was Dream Chaser. It had, you know, the, 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 the old, old shuttle calling to it and all that. And it's still a favorite out there. I still people see people on Facebook yelling and screaming about the decision. So my thought is I think they made the wise choice. You've got one, an established company, and that's Boeing, that can, that's got a heritage that raging all the way to the early days of the, space, of the space race and so on, 50 years worth of experience behind it, and it's ready to go, ready to go ahead and, and, and do the job and go into it rather confidently. Um, with SpaceX, you get one of the upstarts, but you get it in such a form that you already kind of know how to work with it, and you've already got a fairly good working relationship with it and so on. Not to say Sierra Nevada did also did not have a good NASA working relationship. They did, but as as you pointed out, Mark, I think there was a, a good deal there. Um, on the flip side, though, I kind of wondered, since SpaceX has been kind of annoying the daylights of the U.S. Air Force of late, if I really wanted to put up with that kind of routine, um, and and that was still in the back of my head. So actually, when before all this went down, my choices were actually um, uh, Boeing and uh, Sierra Nevada because of that, and with with. Um, uh, SpaceX standing to win regardless in the booster area because both vehicles can fly on Falcon 9. So everybody wins, so to speak. But they, it, it didn't go down the way I wanted it to, and and that's that. Now, we really didn't understand why it went down the way it did until um, a uh, Aviation Week article, excuse me, was released back on October 12th trying to kind of leaking some things they discovered about what the thought processes were um, with NASA and so on. And as far as Boeing was concerned, uh, now grant you, they did get more money for, um, 
for their their entry. I think they got four point six billion, which is what they asked for. And I think uh, uh, SpaceX got uh, two point six billion, which is also what they asked for. Uh, now, what in a, a sort of a memo that was leaked uh, that. Bill Gerstenmeier, uh, NASA's associate administrator for uh, for human spaceflight, said um, he essentially thought that the Boeing proposal was the most mature out of all three, and and it was a no brainer with them. So again, I think both you, Mark, and you, Sawyer, you had great points there with with Boeing. Um, they knew the name, and they, and and of course the heritage was there. And that 50 years of experience kind of came through in the proposal because they said it was the most mature, it was the most well thought out, and it, it would be foolish not to select them. And I'm trying to, if you give me two seconds here, I'm trying to go ahead and, and get the exact quote. Um, gosh darn it, I can't find, gosh darn it, I can't find it, but... It essentially lauds, essentially says that that this is probably the the most mature. They considered Sierra Nevada's the lowest level of maturity, to quote the article, and this is a direct quote from from the uh, from from the from the uh, decision memo. Uh, but basically said it was about schedule, and the way the complexity of the vehicle was set up the time just wasn't there to complete it by the 2017 deadline. They really felt that the, the design was just, and, and, and the way the, the, the schedule was and the way they were approaching possible glitches in that schedule just didn't tag up to the end of 2017. So they felt that that was the weakest out of all three of them considered. The interesting part was was um, about SpaceX uh, in in the article, and they essential and and NASA was essentially saying that you know, we we do think that SpaceX has a quote you know strong approach for incremental development and testing with written, with risk reduction. However, Gerstenmeier basically says here that, quote, he considers it to be the least robust approach for addressing the actual specific feedback on the phase one products that are the foundation of the certification in the second phase. So there's obviously some sort of disconnect there that SpaceX is going to have to work on. But here is here's the real thing that 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 bothers me. He added, adding that that he said, quote, there is a risk that problems not yet well understood and design trades made late in the development process will result in the system not being certified and ready for missions in the needed time frame. Close quote. So to me, it sounds like they did take SpaceX knowing that they, they, they've got problems. They may not be insurmountable, but we're pointing some things out to them saying, you know, hey, you know, we're bringing you on board, but we're doing it provisionally, and we're doing it with these, with these, uh, you know, these reservations. So we're pointing them out to you. Get a plan to rectify them. And so they know that, that SpaceX has got to go ahead and correct it. I think SpaceX knows they've got to get a little bit more of a robust plan to get some of this stuff together. Uh, ultimately, I think they will because they have to. Uh, the U.S. taxpayer is saying you have to. So uh, I know this sounds like, again, you know, and I keep on getting bashed that I'm a SpaceX basher, and I, I'll, I'll, I, I'm an equal opportunity basher, guys. I'm sorry, but um, when, when you know, this is not me bashing them. This is NASA saying, hey, you know, we, we see you've got some work to do. So, so that was really the thought process there. Uh, it had really a lot to do with schedule. So, Sawyer, you tagged on something a lot there 
um, with the design of the spacecraft. And that to me too is, is, is a big deal. Um, just to also say something too, now I know the, the, the super Draco engines that are going to be around, um, the, the crew dragon for, uh, propulsive reentry, those are not going to be used for a while. Uh, they're going to use the regular all up three parachutes, splash in the water type stuff for a little for for crew dragon for a while until they can get their the, the super Draco engines together and working and and getting that propulsive reentry together. I think NASA is also interested in that propulsive reentry plan for a possible use in a in a Mars mission uh, portfolio. So they're going to be looking at that technology, too. And I think that's something, too, that maybe NASA had in the back of its head in this in this uh, uh, this world here, uh, because eventually it's going to get ported over onto Crew Dragon. But we're going to see how this first works and see how they do with it. And if it gets ported over and works and everything is fine and dandy, we may decide to go with something like this when we start putting our Mars portfolio together and we may be using some of SpaceX's equipment, if you will, for that Mars shot. So, you know, that, that's another possibility here, too. So there's a lot of things at play. Um, either way, I think I, I, as much as I hate to say this, I think think, think they did good. Um, and I'm, I'm sure now that we've got our two ships, they'll serve us well. And uh, I'm looking forward to both of them going into service, and and we'll see who wins the um, wins the contest to capture the flag. Question before we leave the topic, guys. Any um, I'm going to put you on the limb here. This I have I I have my my hunch. Who do you think is going to win the capture the flag contest? Oh. <laughs> The guy who left the flag there, or 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 uh, or Elon Musk. I really don't know on this one. I, <laughs> I don't even know if I can make a guess. Mark, who do you think? Because remember, remember the the flag left behind by the crew of STS one thirty five. Uh, that flag flew on STS one. Was going to be flown back down by the winner, and uh, that will fly again on the uh, the first mission to fly. Um, out of the uh, out of the gravity well in a long time. So uh, to just refresh uh, people people's memory. So uh, Mark, who do you think? Who's the inside? Who's got the inside track? Well, neither. Uh, if you ignore the flag aspect of it, the first flight to space is going to be Virgin Galactic. It's not going to be either of those two guys. Well, my bet as far as the winner. Um, in the uh, ISS capture the flag contest, I don't know. I think Chris Ferguson wants that flag real bad. He's the one who left it behind. So uh, I have a feeling that uh, uh, Boeing has the inside track. It, it complete. It was the only one of the three that completed its uh, uh, CCI cap contract obligations on time and, and on budget. And uh, I, I, I think they're, they're going to be the inside favorites to, to win the, the, the capture the flag con- contest. That's just me. Uh, I was wrong with the crew with the commercial crew uh, ship uh, uh, collection there, but uh, we'll see if we, see if I'm right on this one. Uh, we'll definitely have to keep an eye on it, and obviously we'll keep up to date with what happens in the courts because that ruling should be coming in January. All right, so let's move along then. Um, In a similar realm, we'll go to NASA's launch vehicle, and that is ETF-1, the test flight for Orion, coming up in December of this year. That's been long anticipated and long awaited, and now you can be aboard it. Well, maybe not you, but your name at least. If you haven't seen, NASA has given you the option to put your name aboard that capsule and others that then travel onward which they believe could even be all the way to Mars. If you want a chance to do that, you only have until October 31st, and it's on the NASA website. All you have to do is put in your name and your information, and you get a little boarding pass with your name on it, and they'll keep you up to date on how many miles you've traveled, and if only that counted for frequent flyer miles, then I would be so golden. 
But if you haven't gotten the chance to yet, be sure to put your name on board. And that's through NASA.gov, and there will be a link to that in the show notes. So who here has their name on it so far? I'll raise my hand. Oh, my hand is way up, too. I've, I've, had, I've been on board now for a while. I got my boarding pass, and so do my two new mascots, Max and Emerald. If anybody hasn't seen them on, on Facebook or Twitter, go ahead and say hello. They're my two little—they're the crew of Avian One. They, they've, got, uh, they've got their boarding passes, too. So we're all set, and we're all excited. Mark? Hadn't got around to it yet. Well, you're going to have to join. And if you want to, again, the link is in the show notes to NASA's website. Keep up to date with that and hashtag Journey to Mars as well. And uh, I don't know about you guys, but so far I've earned 60,000 miles out of 96,560 kilometers, according to my award points on my boarding pass. So I'm almost there, almost a free flight to space. Bravo. Excellent. Excellent. I haven't checked mine yet. I should go ahead and... Uh, double back and see what uh, see what mine look like and, and if... probably the same. But I don't get why I just caught this. Why sixty thousand miles out of ninety six thousand five hundred sixty kilometers? Hmm. As, long as, they, as long as they don't miss you know mismatch the conversions again like they did with the Mars Polar Lander, will be okay. Oh, 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 oh that was low. <laughs> uh, I was a very low blow. Yeah, I, I should. Be. Ouch, <laughs> that hurt. But still, go ahead and sign up for that. It's fun, and you get a cool little certificate for it. And I know I've got my name on a whole bunch of spacecraft out there now and a little microchip, and now it's on more. So that brings us to the end of round number one. Now let's move on to round number two, where we'll finish things off with a few other stories. And for one of them, we will go back to commercial. Except this time we're not talking about commercial crew, we're talking about commercial cargo. Because there's been a distinct lack of cargo launches to the International Space Station lately. And, well, now there's three of them coming up in the near future. Right, Gene? Oh, boy, are there ever. Um, first off, to kind of recap what's going on, uh, the uh, Commercial Resupply Service Mission Number 4 for, uh, uh, for uh, space exploration uh, for space exploration technologies. There, I got it out. Uh, is going to depart the International Space Station on Saturday, October 25th. Uh, I believe the uh, undocking is scheduled for uh, 9.56 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Uh, I believe the coverage for that starts on NASA television at 9.30 a.m. Uh, Eastern Daylight Time. I'm being lazy. I haven't converted that to GMT. You know, all right, I slapped my hand. Bad, bad boy. Um, the uh, uh, Dragon's going to be returning about, uh, according to NASA here, about uh, 3,276 pounds of cargo. This includes science samples from, you know, uh, for uh, from research, uh, biotech research, uh, any type of physical science investigations that have been going on and so on and so forth. Um, Dragon's going to go ahead and uh, execute about three thruster firings before uh, moving away from the station. And then the deorbit burn for Dragon is going to occur at about, uh, I think NASA's saying here, about 2.43 p.m. Uh, that afternoon. And splashdown is expected in the Pacific Ocean about 3.39 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Reason this was pushed back a little bit it was due to you know choppy weather in the uh, splashdown zone in the Pacific Ocean, so they pushed it back a couple of days. Um, the interesting thing is it's going to get real busy at the ISS. Uh, Progress fifty six is also detaching that same day. I believe they're, they're, it's due to detach on Monday, October twenty seventh. Uh, incidentally, it's the same day that uh, Orbital Sciences will be launching the Orb 3 spacecraft uh, via uh, its Antares booster out of Wallops Island. Um, that is, I believe, I'm trying to see when, that I believe is also going to be a nighttime launch. I think it's, um, my memory is bad, I think it's somewhere around, I want to say 7.22 Eastern Daylight Time. Uh, but I'll have to go ahead and check the Orbital Sciences web, website for that. We will have a link, link up there on the show notes for that. Uh, Orbital also this week announced that uh, they're going to have some new engines for Antares in about two years. Uh, this, they're currently running the Aerojet uh, 
AJ26 engines. Those, of course, are the souped-up versions of the NK, the Russian NK-33s that were supposed to be set up for the Russian moon rocket, the N1. Um, those engines are now helping uh, the uh, uh, orbital sciences uh, with, uh, with Antares, but they, too, may be going the way of the dodo in about two years. And this is also because of all the repercussions um, concerning... Uh, you know the um, uh, the problems that are going on in the Ukraine, and are these engines going to be available in perpetuity? There's also a uh, <laughs> there's also a, a sort of a finite supply of these uh, NK33s. Although uh, the company that does build them had said that they would continue to supply the engines for as long as Orbital wants to buy them, uh, but because of the political stuff that's going on, it's thought that, yeah, maybe we ought to get a domestic source. And just to add something to that, too, I know the U.S. military is looking looking to do away with the RD-180, and I uh, believe there was an announcement today, in, um, or an announcement yesterday, which was printed in uh, Space News, on the Space News website today, indicating that um, the RD-180 engine is also going to be weaned off sooner or later. Um, there's a couple of new engine designs in the works, and uh, we'll just keep plugging away with those new engine designs that, that are going to replace the uh, the RD-180. RD-180 is used on the Atlas V, just, just to, uh, to refresh a few memories. But... Um, since Russia sees Atlas V also as a military vehicle, because Atlas V does launch military payloads, they're saying, hey, wait a minute, you know, we're, we're kind of punching ourselves in the nose here. Why are we giving the Americans a chance to launch military satellites with all this? So anyway, moving right along. So um, the uh, Orbital Sciences, their Orb 3 mission launches um, October 27th, uh, with, uh, so they're, they're going to be back in business. And then we have a launch of a progress mission, uh, I believe, uh, also the same, also in a couple of days, uh, Monday, October 27th, uh, 56 progress, which is currently attached to the International Space Station leaves. I believe that undocking is supposed to occur according to the NASA website here at 1.38 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Um, and the Progress 57 resupply ship is due to launch October 29th at about um, uh, uh, 3 o'clock in the morning, about th uh, 9 minutes after 3 a.m. Uh, also, I believe the time here is Eastern, is Eastern Daylight Time. So the ISS is going to get real busy. It's going to be like Grand Central Station with all these cargo vessels going back and forth, back and forth, which is kind of interesting because before shuttle, we had to rely just simply on shuttle. Now we've got a, a fleet, really, of, of really two autonomous spacecraft, uh, both the, the, uh, the Dragon cargo version and the, uh, the Cygnus, uh, to take cargo up to the International Space Station. Now, just... Uh, this is also going to be the, the last time that this particular configuration of Cygnus flies. Uh, the new version of Cygnus, the much larger version, is going to be launched um, this coming February. Uh, and uh, that will be able to hold a heck of a lot more cargo. It will have the, the larger uh, solar arrays on it, the ones that were, you know, picture the, the ones that were on the original Orion, the, the rounder ones. Those are going to fly on on that particular Cygnus. Uh, so this is going to be an exciting, exciting time for for for, for Orb 4 and for, uh, for Orbital Sciences to have the new bird uh, flying and, and up and going. Um, and of course, SpaceX is going to give it the old college try. Uh, believe uh, CRS Five is due to launch in uh, December. Um, fingers crossed, and God willing, the creek don't rise. Uh, if all goes well, they should be in in the air uh, August. You know, by uh, by De by December, sometime in December. But um, 
I, I'm going to leave the track record and all that, but that's what they're shooting, shooting for no later than December of, of this year. Um, whether they make it or not is, you know, another, another story altogether that we were sort of speculating on before we, we, we started recording here. So it's going to be a busy, busy, uh, uh, few, uh, few days on the ISS crew's going to be up to it. Also doing science and wow. I, I don't know. It, it, it seems like they're going to be doing a lot of uh, a lot of uh, cargo uh, removal and a lot of uh, you know taking out the trash. Sawyer, what do you think? <laughs> I mean, it's got to be done. Uh, someone's got to go up there and take care of all of the uh, supplies and the trash and everything. And it's just a matter of when it actually happens, because as you know and we all know, launches do not necessarily happen on time. In fact. They rarely happen on time, so we'll see what happens, especially I'm interested um, for February, like you mentioned, when there's the new version of the Cygnus, because as you know already, um, SpaceX has their new version of the Falcon with the 9.1, so they're all slightly upgrading. Yeah, that's that's the real exciting part, because there are some other things uh, for Cygnus that NASA's got planned for, and uh, this there was some talk about this uh, back in 2013, actually, uh, about other purposes for Cygnus, because I, I was asking some folks about that, and they said, oh, yeah, we, we definitely know that there are other purposes for Cygnus, And because I, I initially saw that craft uh, in a pressurized version, and Orion using, the, the Orion spacecraft using that, that, that vehicle uh, as a you know a tag along spacecraft, the way say Apollo used the the, the lunar module um, as a tag along spacecraft to not only just go down to the moon but also to you know have and and hang on to uh, for a little bit. Uh, and this thing could pro- you know possibly use be used as a hab module or uh, another pressurized module just for the crew to go into and. Uh, also for an experimentation area, if, if you've got something you know, specific for a specific flight, uh, it, it, it's got a lot of uses and, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of possibility there. Ditto with, with, uh, well, we are, we're already going to see the other version, the other use for, uh, for Dragon and, and, uh, by the end of 2017, which is, is, is for crew. In fact, Dragon was designed with crew in mind. So uh, it it it's not I'm I'm not knocking Dragon by any means, but but Cygnus is more of a pure cargo vehicle. Where Dragon, however, gives you something that Cygnus doesn't, and that's down mass. Uh, right now, I they are playing with the idea of of getting a a, a, a they were at one time at least playing with an idea of getting a, a version of Cygnus that could also give you that. I think right now that's on hold. Um, so, but so right now the only down mass that you can get off of the International Space Station comes from from the uh, cargo version of of the Dragon, and that's why Dragon is really critical uh, to to getting uh, to to you know preserving the ISS and keeping the experiment flow going because sometimes you got to bring samples back for analysis and and proving and so on and so forth and this is the only vehicle that we have at least right now to do that and do that successfully so dragon right now is really a linchpin if you will for uh for ISS and uh it's it, it, so it's it's in a way it's kind of exciting to see these two vehicles out there and and doing what what they, they can do because both both the uh, the cargo dragon and the um the cygnus have have some great futures ahead of them i think uh and and regardless of what what the future of the iss is so there, there's some beautiful uses for both spacecraft i think they've got a wonderful future ahead of them Honestly, both of them do. It needs to happen. And hey, if NASA can't even get humans or anything else up right now, at least we've got American companies that are launching cargo, and it has to be done. Plus, now when you think with no more ATVs, um, we need as much as we can get up there. And the more they can carry, and you know, especially with SpaceX having the down mass, like you mentioned, you know, you've got two completely different vehicles, both serving a very important purpose, and we'll always keep an eye on those launches. Indeed.
All right, then. So we will finish up round number two, and we will finish up this news show um, with a close encounter. No, not of the third kind. Of the comet kind. And that was over on Mars with Comet Siding Spring making a very close appearance and, uh, as a result, making for some very cool pictures by our robotic adversaries who also, luckily, made it through unscathed. Right, Gene? Yes, sir. In fact, we had, there were actually a, a handful of spacecraft that we're going to be looking at Siding Spring as it went through. Um, just to give you an idea of how close um, Siding Spring was, picture uh, a, an asteroid of some sort going about a third of the distance between the Earth and the Moon. Now, we would really call that a close shave. That's how, how close Siding Spring got to Mars. Um, and this was a, a grant. This wasn't just a, you know, a once in a while event and, 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 a, and an interesting little little event here. This was a once in a, in a million year event that was that was going on um, to give you an, to give you an idea uh, of what we had to do, though, we had to go ahead and safe the three spacecraft that we have up there. Uh, NASA euphemistically called the pro the process duck and cover, but essentially we had to move uh, both the, you know the Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter, uh, Mars Odyssey, and uh, the new uh, kid on the block, Maven. We basically had to get them to the opposite side of the planet as the comet went by. We thought for sure that you know there really wasn't a, was not a collision per se. But, uh, uh, you know, the way the tail is and so on, you, you just don't want to tempt fate. Uh, you don't know what debris is in that tail or anything like that. So you really want to make sure that things are out of the way. Um, so they positioned all three of those vehicles on the opposite side of the planet to make sure that they were essentially out of harm's way. So they found safe harbor over there. The neat opportunity with this, no pun intended, was the fact that the rover Opportunity and our other rover, Curiosity, had a chance to go ahead and take the very first photograph of a comet going by on the surface of another world. Just think about that for a minute. Let that sit in just for a few seconds. That we actually have a picture of a comet in the skies above another planet, courtesy of both curiosity and opportunity. Some of those pictures have been trickling back down now, and some of the data has also been trickling back down to get an idea of what uh, impact the comet had on, on Mars's atmosphere. And that was one of the things that we really, really wanted to understand. I believe MAVEN, which is there to study the Martian atmosphere, uh, took a few readings. It's it's still going through its its commissioning phase, if you will, to make sure that all of the instruments are operating correctly. But they decided to go ahead and try to get some baseline meet, readings first from from uh, from the Martian atmosphere. They knew kind of what they were looking for, so they got all the baseline stuff and moved the the spacecraft over into the safe harbor position on the opposite side and rode it out over there. Now. Uh, after they've gone through a commissioning deal, they're going to start sniffing the atmosphere to see if anything's changed as a result of the comet encounter. So I'm looking forward, really, to finding out what, what they discover there. But some dazzling pictures were, were brought back, um, not just from uh, uh, the, uh, you know, the ground-based telescopes here, but also from from uh, I believe Mars, Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter, Mars Odyssey, um, has they've slowly been sending pictures back. I don't know um, if the Mars Orbiter mission, uh, which is uh, the ISRO, the Indian uh, Space Research Organization, their uh, probe has returned any photographs yet. Uh, I, I haven't checked the news on that as we record here tonight. Um, that's something that I'll still have to have to come around and take a look at. But the good news is that mission also survived, and it, it probably they also had their own safe harbor uh, operation going. 
so it, it was it was good news all the way around. It was an exciting evening. Uh, if you didn't watch SLU at all, I think they sometimes rerun or there's an ability to rerun uh, the public presentations on their website. Um, if uh, SLU is a great resource for events like this, if, if uh, NASA's not doing anything live or if there's not a Google Hangout going on, check SLU out for, for, for Sky and stuff like this. Some of the stuff they charge for, some of the stuff they don't, like the general stuff. Um, and this was considered to be that, you know, that awesome. So they they went ahead and, and put this out for anybody who wanted to listen to it. And, and they did a pretty good half hour presentation, or I believe an hour presentation, I'm sorry, um, delivering some some uh, ground-based telescope uh, stuff uh, as the comet flew by. I think it was about maybe 2.15, 2.30 Eastern Daylight Time on Sunday. And then they came back um, later in the day, I think it was about 8.30 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, just to find out, to make sure that, uh, you know, after uh, the, the pass, the close pass was pretty much over, if everybody was still there and everybody was still still um, still active, because that was one of the things we we didn't know if if our our fleet could could survive the the uh, uh, the, the pass. And when uh, JPL started you know powering things up and saying, "Hey, you out there," and everybody said, "Yep, we're all here," um, you know, the sigh of relief was 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 quite quite palpable. But it was a this was a, a again a once in a million year event, and if if you do get a chance, and we'll we'll get the Sighting Spring website on the uh, on in the show notes, um, it is and it was an amazing evening, uh, and we'll just watch as as the pic, as as the photographs come trickling down from from each one of these spacecraft and from the our our, uh, our two uh, folks on the ground uh, uh, opportunity and. Uh, and curiosity uh, and the photographs they're going to be sending back of this because it, it they're going to be amazing I'm, I'm just saying so so please check the site out from time to time and again we'll put that up on the show notes exactly i mean opportunity caught a great raw image so wait until the processed images come through and then they colorize them that is going to be something to watch for so definitely keep an eye on that and with that, that brings this episode to its conclusion. I'd like to thank everybody who joined us here tonight. Thank you for joining us, Gene McCulka. This was fun. Thank you, Sawyer. It was, uh, it's always a joy to be here. And thank you as well for joining us, Mark Raderman. It's not been a slow October, has it? No, it has not. That's for sure. And as it's picking up, hopefully you'll notice Talking Space is picking back up, and we hope you'll stick with us. And we hope you'll be with us for our next episode, which is going to be another special one. We hope you'll be there. But until then, as always, have a great day, night, evening, or whatever it may be, where you are. <laughs>